0: What do you think is more important? Don't think about it. Sensitivity to aesthetics or compassion?
1: I hate that! It's a trick question.
0: Yeah, I think they're the same thing. The same thing, same sides of a different coin.
1: Fishes are born in water. Man is born in Tao. If fishes, born in water, seek the deep shadow of pond and pool, all their needs are satisfied. If man, born in Tao, Tao sinks deep into the shadow of non-action, to forget aggression and concern, he lacks nothing. His life is secure. Moral, all the fish needs is to get lost in water. All the man needs is to get lost in Tao. Amen, brother. Good shit. Thank you, Chung soo As
0: translated by Thomas Mert.
1: Thank you, Tommy Mert. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome all back to camp. I'm Ben Anderson. Whereas I'm Paul Anderson. <laughs> and uh yeah this is magic camp we've been away for a minute um it's been a while not that we've been releasing these in real time or anything but full disclosure it's been many months um because of a lot of stuff happening uh paul moved to denver paul started a new job paul bought a subaru yeah uh new apartment everything i Whereas I have been um, uh, did big layoff at work, homeschooling. Oh, I didn't do he, it.
0: He okay. You neither did the layoff or got laid off. That's true. Sorry. Although that is a stressful situation either way.
1: Nope. I just did my cockroach strategy of surviving. Don't sell like yourself short, corporate man. life. Um, here to uh, to tell the story, but that homeschooling, Aiden. Uh well well Abby's doing most of it, but that's going on. And other stuff. And we've been too busy to do this. So Right. That's
0: that's straight, our excuse. Um up. you know, and and it has been kind of amazing to find that even in, in our absence that we've developed such a tremendously large fan base. Um yeah. so this is uh we're here we hear back backed by popular demand, um, you know, people saying things like, uh yeah, yeah, I listened, <laughs> and uh, um, cool, thanks for sending. <laughs> yeah, definitely will. Yeah, just adore, adoring fans at this point.
1: Absolutely. Um, but no, it was, it was, it's been a really long time, and this is the first time we're actually doing it in person, which is ironic that you've been here for a couple months, but we i have been too busy. So just... This is the first iteration of Magic
0: Camp IRL at our current HQ, yeah, or one of two HQs, but Denver, Colorado, being the new HQ.
1: And I'm thinking with all these camps, I'm assuming that have gone bankrupt, Christian camps, whatever, uh, and like the types of weird high schools that you get sent to, and they abuse you in various ways, going out of business during COVID. Um, I know, like, a lot of the Young Life camps are. Are they way really way in the red? Is that the bad one? Yeah, that's and, the bad one. Yeah, <clears throat> um, yeah, we're closer than ever to buying up some property, and uh, yeah, uh-huh. moving out to the wilderness. And yep. Welcome it, everybody, to come with us.
0: But before we do buy the property, it's more about we have to cultivate a following first, and then well, we yeah. get people to quit their jobs, you know, leave their spouses, their families, you know get at least a soft verbal agreement to renounce all worldly things. things then we buy the property and then everybody moves there we you know figure out some way to uh to c- commit mass
1: suicide <laughs> absolutely we'll figure it out we'll figure it out um but yeah so one part of part of the reason we're back doing this is we decided to cut ourselves a break and not have a big theme for this episode and just try a little there's plenty of stuff that we've been doing and thinking about that are all art and power related and just because they maybe don't fit into a single theme there's um, no reason not to not to do this so we didn't do it any homework this time right um, so we'll just see how it goes right um, and if we need to go back to the more rigorous note-taking then we will but we'll just see how this goes
0: well yeah absolutely and um Yeah, part of that is just knowing that we don't necessarily approach things always from a one artist at a time sort of uh, highly researched rigorous process and that this is as much about exploration and just kind of finding your way through your own curiosity. Uh, So to be restricted by just one, one artist every time. Can sometimes feel a little bit limiting but we might we might go back yeah. to it if the mood strikes
1: yeah and I think I think what we'll do is we've all been both been thinking about plenty and reading about plenty for myself I've been reading uh, stuff you've gave me given me on the topic of whatever you want to call Zen Buddhism Taoism a lot of it channeled through Thomas Merton the Catholic guy nope. and um, so I've oh, been... Man. I've been... Okay. We're, keep going. Sorry. just This is just table contents. Um, yeah. I've been super into that so we can talk about that um, on a couple, at a couple levels. And then I, art-wise I've been reading a lot more like princip- uh, technical type of stuff. So I've been doing landscape painting and so I read Edgar Payne's famous landscape composition book. And then I was doing a lot of reading and reflecting about John Singer Sargent, who's principally known as a portrait artist, um, but way more in the just <clears throat> realism um, realm, and it's hard to know if there's anything interesting intellectually to talk about there, whereas I'm just looking at like <coughs> mechanics and inter- like how to improve my, my painting. Um, but I actually think there are some interesting things about that, because it just constantly... Brings me into a reflection of what's the point of this and what am I doing? Um, so that's that's what I have. And then we've watched a couple of good things, mm-hmm. Lodge Forty Nine, uh, pro- probably mainly that. Um, and then I can I can show you some good and some dumb stuff on Instagram. And that's about what I have.
0: That sounds good. Um, yeah, I'm on I'm on a similar page in that. Um, the things that I've been reading or the things that I've been doing haven't haven't been quite as immediately applicable. Um, I haven't been, I finished up teaching my class where I was actually kind of really directly involved in teaching art history. Um, well, kind of, in my own half-assed way. Um, but uh, I've been reading a lot of Walt Whitman lately. Um, some William James. So maybe we'll come back to that and that is more in the you know, obviously in the literary side of things, but I think it does it does meet in the middle somewhere in the things that we've been inching towards over the last few episodes of not just talking about art and power, but also the some of the spiritual dimensions involved with that and of of making art or of just the human experience in general. Um, And I don't think those two things have to be mutually exclusive by any means, because I think that this moment kind of demands that sort of mindset and and framework. I think both of us have kind of been on the same page, like maybe it was mid-COVID, probably sometime around, uh, I don't know, May, June, when it started to become very clear that we needed we needed a, a bigger lens yeah. to talk about what was going on, whether that was politically um, with, you know, the protests and everything that was happening or with just the sheer chaos of everything uh, with coronavirus. And, you know, speaking of which, yesterday, our, um, our beloved Donnie Deals was, was just diagnosed with, um, with the, uh, the COVID. So this is also a lamentation. Yeah. Um, actually no so it's not a lamentation in fact I have a Walt Whitman quote for that exact thing and for this last seven months and something I've been working through we'll come back to this but I love this this line he says all has been gentle with me I keep no account with lamentation um, so and I hope that uh, I hope that Donnie, Donnie himself can, can take the same same perspective even if he ends up Is he going to die? Time will
1: tell. He's very old. He's very fat.
0: He's very fat, but he has some sort of uh, just like this energy, unkillable, unassailable energy of of death defiance.
1: Yeah, he's like, his insides are like polymerized. You know, they're not organic. Um, Yeah. He's just really resilient to the forces of Nature. Rotten flesh. Right. Yeah, of of
0: flesh. humanity. Yeah. Somehow. Um, okay, so what should we where should we begin here? So, um you said you're gonna maybe go in a Merton direction, or we could start with Lodge forty nine, or maybe some tunes, or Oh, you know what, actually, and we could say this for another episode if you prefer, but I do I have received some feedback from our, you know, numerous fans yeah. that the campers we have igno- see that's my point is we have done a we've been pretty clear that this is a a camp oriented show
1: <laughs> metaphorically
0: metaphorically oriented towards camping yeah where we're we've done some you know been to some camps in our day whereas the magic piece of things is not we haven't fully ex- explained much of that yet
1: yeah that's true and actually yeah that, that's that's fair enough do you have something to say about magic?
0: I mean, I, I thought you had thought about this a little bit, but for me, and I haven't put any of this on paper, but it does bring up another thing that we both uh, watched recently, which was, uh, uh, yeah. what's it called? Um, Feels Good Man. Mm-hmm. Feels Good Man, which is the the really good documentary about the artist, the illustrator who created Pepe the Frog. And you know who, which was sub- subsequently taken from him and co-opted by, not just the alt right, but just the broader media landscape in general. Yeah. Um, and there's a really amazing expert in that what documentary. Was his title? He was like a occultist. Yeah. Um, sort of scholar.
1: He wasn't an alchemist, right?
0: I don't believe he was an alchemist, but he would very much fit perfectly in the Lodge Forty Nine universe. Yeah. Um, but he essentially said, and I don't know if this is the correct quote, he says that magic is the language of the oppressed, or as magic is the I don't know the not the language um, the method of the oppressed, yeah, right. And that's in many ways always been the case. Uh, and you know art, I think, is tangential to magic in that way, in that it represents or is an expression of some intangible power, right that is. Um, antithetical to or stands in opposition to uh, other forms of power of material power or of political oppression yeah. that it springs from a different a different part of human life um, and so here we teach that's what we're teaching that's what we're talking about is these ma- magicians art magicians who have cropped up throughout history to you know either be um subsumed by the political forces around them or to do something that changes or or redirects them in some way
1: yeah i i think i could say a lot more about the magic thing and particularly being able to play with the elements to reconstruct uh or construct worlds that are as real as what we perceive as the real world um to do that it would probably be really helpful to like get into to what I thought was really insightful about Merton and Zen. Um, do you want to say anything about like introing Merton? Um well, oh man that
0: I, I feel like I would need more time to prepare to do that, but just I mean off the top of my head I've, I've liked Merton for a long time in fact loved Merton. Um, And uh, what do you say about the guy? He was a, he was a writer first, um, you know, expat from, well, I guess he wouldn't have been an expat, but he was British, born in England, and then moved to New York City to attend Columbia University where he wanted to become a novelist and made a go at trying to make it as a writer in New York City was kind of this hard partying, Augustinian sort of. Fellow in the in the early 20th century, and then had a he's some cut, sort of, right? He's cut. He's a good-looking guy. He's a good-looking guy. He, fellow, fellow, baldy too. Yeah. Um,
1: is that for monk reasons or nope? Okay.
0: Yeah, natural. Nice. Um, so there's another connection point between me and Thomas Merton. Well, that's probably the only. And you're both one. celibate.
1: <laughs>
0: See, incel is I mean, one's <laughs> voluntary, one's not. No. Um, So Merton was a monk, right? But he was a monk writer and moved to Kentucky when he was about 30 years old and wrote prolifically from there. And in fact, he wrote a spiritual memoir called The Seven Story Mountain, which was like a New York Times bestseller while he was, became a New York Times bestseller while he was a monk at this abbey in Kentucky. Um, And, you know, was, all of the funds were going to the Catholic Church like they collected all of his money and so he found a way to navigate and like keep writing even though the church didn't really want him to um, but he was essentially a mystic a contemporary mystic and became more so as his as his life went on um, in fact his earlier writings are a lot more conventional and a lot more yeah. kind of Cloying in some ways, if I'm being completely honest. Um, but uh, what do, what do you think about Merton as a recent kind of uh, accolade? accolade well, accolade.
1: particularly what you gave me was his translation of uh, the Way of chung right? And Zen and the Birds of Appetite, and both of both of which are part of his project of an East-West dialogue of trying to to bridge the gap. This would have been the '60s, right, between the Catholic Orthodox West and Eastern thought, Zen and Buddhism and stuff like that. And, um, the birds of appetite is much more, uh, just prose about where he sees contemporary or or Orthodox or historical Christianity, whatever, like, and it's different currents, um, fitting together with Zen specifically is, is the expression he's mostly talking about within Buddhism. I mean, Buddhism, um, is that true? I think that's the smart way to say it, but um, yeah. uh, And that's really good, but I I got the most from the Way of Chuan Tzu, which is a, oh, okay. an ancient Zen writing, um, and it's well,
0: as, I don't know if it's Zen technically. Well, it's not Zen, but it, yeah, it,
1: it, it's become right like a, a pillar of Zen thought, right. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's much more poetic and um, as it should and, be, right? Yeah, absolutely, but. No, I super enjoyed it, but to cut to the chase of like what's been striking me and like you said, we're, we're in this like possibly epochal historical moment where shit is really crashing and coming to contradiction with COVID with, I mean, it, it, speaking in personal terms, the failure of the burning campaign and COVID both hitting it at the same time mm-hmm. just sucked so much ass and really... Was a huge slap in the face, you know. Right, Um, and we're both, you know, investing and pushing hard, um, and just to have all that grind to a halt, you know, all of a sudden, and lots of people dealing, you know, with similar, similar aspects of that, um, as well as everything else going on in the country, all the manifold crises, um, that aside from just like muddling through and figuring out what to do with your boredom, that it's, it just seems very incumbent upon us to stop, like uh-huh. stop and step back and take this moment to sit in the boredom and, mm-hmm. and really analyze the moment and understand what's going on. And to discuss, <clears throat> uh, as comes up in Lodge 49, is there another way of living? Mm. Um, is that is that what it is? Is there another way to live, like uh-huh. it says on the billboards? Right. Um, that um, I take is like well, to tie it into Merton and Zen, um, the thing that has struck me most during this time of like stepping back and doing a like a lot of meta analysis is I'm gonna butcher Buddhism here, um, or and its Zen, Zen expression, but basically. Um, to realize or or like to intuit this, the oneness of all being the unconstructed oneness of all being that all things are one come from one return to one. And importantly, every single way that we try to structure reality to make sense of it, to build our worlds and languages and our morality, everything we do with our imagination and sense making is illusory. Or if not illusory, temporary and fleeting, and are sandcastles like they will be wiped out um, right. and and will crumble. And it's not necessarily bad to do that, but that's what I, for me, has been the stepping back of like all these libidinal investments I make are built upon sandcastles, right. basically. For sure. Um, I could have told you that, man. Well, I'm just kidding. Me too. Um, so, but anyways, that's been my main takeaway: is like step back and see this constructedness of all of our worlds, uh, whether that's like our political ideas or our cultural ideas, just the way the way we do things, the how we think things matter, how we think Donald Trump matters, and and all of our resistance matters or whatever, right? To step back and see. Um, how temporary provisional even our best constructions are right Right. yeah Um, and where I think that should take you is then to a place of freedom and playfulness where you can construct and deconstruct without killing yourself in the in the process Mm -hmm. right absolutely yeah that's very well said
0: Um, I've been thinking a lot about that as well and I think the thing I'm exploring right now, and I don't want to go off in my direction yet, but is that the pandemic provided this, us with that opportunity and I think that it has in many ways inspired and catalyzed that process for a lot of people and in a lot of different ways and ways that have been you know positive in a lot of to, to a lot of um degree um but it's also At the same time, it's one of the most dangerous things that opportunities that we can get, right? Mm -hmm. That, that stillness, that lack of activity is the most frightening thing for most people, for most of us, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why, well maybe not why, but I think there are choices that you can make within that sort of, when meaning begins to dissipate you know, as as our lives grind to a halt and suddenly the things that we thought were the true markers of our identity fade away, that can be an opportunity for uh, for both either transformation in the way that you're describing, of like realizing your connection to all things and your utter uh, sort of inconsequential presence
1: in the world. Okay, we're back. The Zoom recorder died at some point. I don't know when. So whether or not I stitched this back together smoothly or not. What were we talking about? It is what it is. Um, I was talking about was wrapping up Merton and tying it into Lodge 49 and fantasy fiction. Um, ah. Where are you going?
0: We were talking about the character of Dud. And how I'm still trying to figure it out, but yes, I completely agree that he is in the process of constructing this world. Um, And I think what's so great about the show is that, or part of the show, is that they don't have a clear uh, didactic perspective on what Dud should or should not do. Yeah. You know, it's not like, wow, look at Dud self destruct. You yeah, know, right, like right. don't do this. Right. Don't don't create a worldview based in sand. You know, or yeah. don't don't follow dead ends or the opposite. Right. Yeah. The whole question. The whole show is an open question about what is the w- right way to live in a in a brutal and you know fallen world. Yeah. In fact, I, I wrote down in my journal. As I was watching the show, it's a show about belief. It's about belief and faith under late-stage decay and capitalism. Right. Um, And what it takes or the risks of believing in something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. so good. Yeah. I mean, and we can just name all the other good things about it. Um, At a surface level, like it hits on so many great themes that are so prescient it just has so much going on that are things that are real and identifying the actual forces at play in our world and what it's like to be alive right now in a way that most other shows that would build themselves that way completely miss Mm -hmm. you know um right whether it's like debt um not wanting to go or being able to go to the doctor right dealing with like a chronic injury yeah um people dying uh and then like all the various power players that come in or that you see the edges of yeah of like the real estate guys the corporate world that restaurant chain yep um yeah
0: the cop who takes over the lodge yes he's really well done he's really good yeah um No, the one, I I just recently watched the episode where it's this, you know, she's like the CEO of the restaurant company. She's clearly, I I mean, it would have been like probably before the phenomenon of like people learning about Elizabeth Holmes, you know, or people, it would have already happened, but it was before the documentary and the podcast of that psycho. And like, oh my gosh. Um, And she's clearly like, yeah kind of modeled off of her and uh there's a great line with that character who is the he's like a he works in the kitchen he's yeah. just like sort of like <laughs> brilliant like I, but like total I think burnout I, talk,
1: I think i talked over it i don't know if you heard the line in an early episode It's like yeah i used to be straight edge but when i was 14 i decided to embrace the dionysian lifestyle <laughs> it's great yeah um
0: there, there are throwaway lines like that throughout the whole show, but um, no, when she is at this corporate training and she sees that the CEO has taken this anecdote from her life, right. you know, meaning the, what's her name?
1: The group, the, the sister? Um, Liz. Liz, yeah.
0: She takes an anecdote from Liz's life and uses it for her own story. And then he says to this burnout guy, he says, that's right the author is dead. <laughs> yeah. There is no author. The author is dead. Yeah. Which is like a, a perfect encapsulation of the show in many ways because the show is about the lack, what, what you do in a world where there is no author anymore. How, yeah. do you, how do you become the author of your own life in a world where there is no longer a coherent narrative? And um, there's no such thing as, as uh, an accepted or agreed upon reality anymore Um, Mm -hmm. where anybody's story can be anybody you can just take whatever you want
1: yeah and were were you still going on that no okay absolutely agree with all that and I would say overall the biggest the centerpiece like the spine of the show is about community yep and the good fortune that does has to find this tiny enclave in a collapsing world yep which most people don't stumble into a lodge right and, and find that they're living outside of history for a brief moment they're just they're on like a 10-year delay right. between every other institution collapsing and they they do collapse in the over the course of the show right um, and that's that to me is like the most real-world impact of it of The thing that has to come back like the center that needs to return or like what we've truly lost like and or like the main pillar that is that is falling down right Um, and I've been wondering a lot lately of like where to go with that and completely acknowledge how isolated I am and we are like if you work in in an office like I do for me, it was already like I was getting the the pre-earthquakes before COVID hit, but like the whole point of being an office worker is being atomized from everybody else. Um, yeah. And all that comes home to roost, like when you're not in an office, right? Um, mm. That and then the collapse of like religious institutions um, or a- anything like where, where do you even go to, to find this sort of thing anymore? um and yeah i I'm not quite sure where to go with it, because as someone who used to go to church, um like a lot of times i I do wonder like is or or say young life, like mm. sometimes I'll imagine um just like, what would it look could I go back on staff and pretend to be an evangelical <laughs> and not care like that like put my hand on the Bible right and say all this the stupid things and just lie that i that I believe them, you yeah, know? right. Take, take the oath, and then do the the good part of yeah. creating community yeah, and there are people on staff that we knew who basically i mean not quite that absurdly, but like you know we're fine with walking that line of like, right yeah, 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 you know it's a, really it's an evangelical organization, sure, but who cares like
0: for sure no um, that, that's very interesting, and I think um, when you mention it that way, I think I am. In the, I, I mean, still figuring it out, in the somewhat fortunate position to be in kind of the job that I took here, the high school teaching job, have found myself... I don't know what the community is going to look like. I don't know if it's, you know, solid or if it's going to be anything too, uh, anything substantial. But I do think that I've kind of lucked or found my way into a situation like that where it's like it's you know it's still completely flawed in so many ways and I'm right now trying to walk the line between um, how you know like a lot of things that I take issue with with the institution of a of a charter school and of um, just the education system in general wondering if it's worth it but then also seeing like even online, there's still something to a school. Yeah. Colleges don't have it anymore. That I learned. Yeah. Which, in fact, is the. Well, at least I can I can, I can only speak for the colleges that I worked at, but um, that's this the opening to this this Whitman essay I'm trying to write, um, is so I started reading Walt Whitman, in pre-COVID, like February, I want to say. Um, I'd read him in college. In fact, I read him among other, you know, 19th century American writers in a class with the the late Dr. Steve Cook, who was my favorite professor at Westmont. He was also like totally degaffing the entire time. I now now realize he had Parkinson's and he, he well he died when I was there, basically. Yeah. But he called he called Walt Whitman, and I didn't ever understand why called him Sweaty Walt. And I have since gone looking for any other reference to the nickname Sweaty Walt. That's mine, by the way. Oops, Um, And uh, nothing. So he definitely made up the nickname (laughs) Sweaty Walt. And I couldn't understand what it meant as an undergraduate student. There's a lot I didn't understand then. Um, I think it had something to do with um, Whitman's exuberance, right? In some ways, in literary circles and poetic you know thought he's too like William Blake he's too much yeah you know he's too exuberant his language is not coded enough or um subtle enough and Song of Myself which comes from the greater uh long collection of poems called Leaves of Grass, which is his seminal work. Um, Song of Myself is essentially a hundred page uh, poem about, well, on the surface, about celebrating oneself. You know, that's, that's, I sing of myself, I celebrate myself is the first couple lines of the poem. Um, But I had never really understood Whitman. I didn't really give him a good try until... I picked them up again this winter and in the first like five or six pages of of the poem there is a a line that is I can't remember what it is I might have to pull it out Um, where he references he he says okay um, I am not an earth nor am I an adjunct of the earth dot 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 something 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 um, and the earth is good the star is good and they adjuncts all good. So it's basically talking about the earth and other tangential celestial bodies and affirming them, right? So that's the whole nature of the poem is affirmation of all living things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that none is separate from the other in the way that you're saying. And so the poem is about seeing that in oneself, you know, that the inner uh, or to to retreat inward or to go inward ultimately what will happen if you truly do that is you will find your connection to all things right right? that's essentially the thesis of of song of myself if if I'm not reading it wrong Um, but thing I'm kind of working through is like I get this feeling that once again when you come back to the pandemic And to quarantine that we've all had the opportunity to flirt with or encounter that reality Mm -hmm. you know in ways that we never had before and yet because of for whatever reason or whether it's the way that spirituality or religion has further atomized us or with the way that capitalism has has atomized us over the last 150 years since since Walt Whitman wrote Song of Myself it is too easy or is easier now to go in that direction to what, and to ultimately arrive at greater atomization. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's the, the, um, the risk of, of that kind of, um, ecstatic experience. And once again, this kind of comes back to Q and to like using religion or using spirituality as an excuse to be, separate from other people yeah you know and i'm talking a little bit about like instagram self helpy culture and like um because if you read that stuff if you look at the uh the titles of these books that you see at a hudson hudson news in uh in the airport they their language or the things that they say are not far off from from a walt whitman or a uh a Thomas Merton yeah. sort of philosophy. So my question is, is that legit? Like, how could it be possible that the entire publishing industry or all of Instagram is practicing <laughs> Walt Whitman, Thomas Merton style spirituality? That can't be true yeah. because that is not the world we live in. And if if people were really doing that that wouldn't, life wouldn't be the way it really is right now. Yeah. And so I, I haven't quite figured out my, my thesis yet, but I'm also drawing on William James's varieties of religious experience. Because in one of his essays, which is called The Religion of Healthy-Mindedness, he uses Walt Whitman as his uh, sort of archetype of this kind of philosophy. But it was something that was natural to him. Um, so I'm kind of trying to figure out or look at that from a do sort of what William James James was doing which is look at this phenomenon of positivity and scrutinize it to see if it's legit essentially you know not only in other people but in myself as well you know Um, anyway
1: yeah I know what you mean yeah I don't know the answer, um, but I suspect like there's a difference between seeing death and basically the dialectical opposite of the things you cherish and make you comfortable and running from it and pretending it doesn't exist and pretending things are fine and between that and facing up to it and walking into right. the mouth of the beast. Dying and coming out the other side alive basically. for sure.
0: Yeah, that's I mean they can Seem similar on the surface, but they're two totally different things um, yeah, but you're, you're, yeah, that's essentially my My thought on Whitman is that he was doing it um, No array of terms can say how much I am at peace about God and about death, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: is one line. And then he again says, why should I wish to see God better than this day? (laughs) Good stuff like that, you know? You must habit yourself to the dazzle of the light and of every moment of your life. Yeah. You know, that could, as beautiful as that is, that could be somebody's, like, somebody's caption in an in Instagram photo of right. them like, I don't know, doing whatever you do in an Instagram photo. Um very easily.
1: Yeah. Right. It's just the question of if are you serious? Like, do you really mean it? Like, um, I think it's helpful to use the the Nietzschean eternal recurrence, like thought experiment uh-huh. that is if your life repeated eternally, would you say yes? Like, would you sign up for your life again and do it again and do it again? Nice. That's a lot more real and a lot more challenging when you consider that you can never sift the good from the bad, right? Like, you can never sift good from evil or light from darkness. And that's part of, like, the Tao Zen idea of all these things Uh are bundled up in life and co-constituented with each other of both the horror and the goodness of life. At this point, we can only experience them as opposites and and horror truly as horror, but as like basically existence unfolds and refolds, like somehow they are reconciled and basically like the, the name of the game is to reconcile yourself to that. To that process mm-hmm. um, and only there are you like actually in a, a place of freedom where you can where you actually can act right like I'm just jumping ahead to like thinking politically after Bernie dropped like <clears throat> the feeling of course is like fuck this I'm like yeah I'm gonna sit out the rest of the game which I don't think there's anything wrong with that reaction at all but that basically you have to go through that death and understand, like be reconciled to the, the horrible situation that we're in and accept it at some level. Right. In order then to make an intervention, like that you could act upon history, like yeah, it could only come from that place where like, yeah, you, you begin by being reconciled to, to this space and, and to the good and the bad and basically like giving up hope yeah, first of like, your life meaning anything, right? And only someone in that position, like, actually could make a difference. Like, yeah, and, and act calmly and peacefully out of that,
0: right? Which, which uh, the Kush Kush God would uh, or the Kush Man would say is what we are unable to do right now, right? Or the the hysteria of the, of the moment, or the um, the ways or the modes. Of which we engage in politics and in culture are set up or uh, designed to prevent us from ever having those true moments of reconciliation. Whether it's, yeah, like I said, either either the politics themselves or some other aspect of our religious culture or our spiritual culture that has prevented us from, from making those kinds of um, revelations part of our life you know like the thing you're talking about or those those reconciliation moments um, do you see what I mean yeah like we're in some way unable to stop and, and reckon with the situation that we're in yeah I mean not everybody
1: but um, no, totally and possibly like giving into the situation I think it is necessary and the situation we're in right now is decline <laughs> like yeah and we're living through or entering into a dark ages and and quality of life is lowering and life expectancy and things like that and you could be as dramatic as you want about it but I think no matter what like you have to admit that that is overall bending bending that way in America and overall like even even just looking most soberly at it from a perspective of energy resource like that we've been on the decline since the 60s and 70s in terms of how much energy we could get for, for so, so cheap a dollar. Basically like energy return on energy invested. In the 50s and 60s, in the boom time for America and for the world, you could put, put, poke a drill into the ground and get a hundred times return on the energy you put in to get it. Right. Since then, we're at like that's fallen by 500% like sure. and we'll, we'll never go back potentially right and that's like that would be one of the chief KPIs of like quality of life or or how how intensely we're consuming resources right but anyways all that to say like I think we have to let ourselves fall into this and embrace a little more poverty of spirit in order to to get there amen um yeah
0: absolutely and that's um Again, that's part of the zooming out the camera, zooming out the the lens a little bit and allowing yourself to see this moment within a greater historical context, whether that's economically or from a spiritual or artistic perspective as well. Like we haven't published the episode yet, I don't think. But, you know, my whole thesis in that St. Francis episode is that. I think we did. I did. I don't think you did really yeah Um, Francis you know Francis was able to encounter or uh, have the revelations he had that allowed him to then go on to change the culture because of or in the midst of the Dark Ages right so it's in many ways the a dark age a spiritual bankruptcy is more fertile ground yep. for spiritual revelation, you know? It's just terrifying to go into it. And we have all these false prophets and charlatans who, uh, who, who control the discourse or whose voices are louder than any other. Yep. And um, hopefully they will be snuffed out like so many flames on well, a very day. will get COVID and die. Yeah, that, I, I mean, we at this point like that could be the the way this all goes down. It's just like <laughs> clean slate plague, full on plague style. Like, or were there? That'd be fun to research right now. Like, who died in the like the original plague, like the bubonic plague? Was there any kings and like stuff like that? What did that do? Yeah, historically couldn't, couldn't
1: speaking, tell you. probably mostly peasants. But
0: yeah, for sure. Um, but another thing just one more thing about the Whitman Whitman essay is you know one of the like counterarguments that i'm trying to put into the essay because you have to acknowledge those counterpoints and once again i think that the discourse has been flattened in many ways don't want to get into all the details of that but one of the consequences or one of the aspects of this current dark age of thought and discourse is there's very little room for this kind of rumination or or reflection it's mm-hmm. just like you have to have it right now yeah where do you stand and what's your take yeah. what's your take yeah. you're either for this or against it and if you don't say it in this exact right way you are on the side of the oppressor, right? Yeah. In some way, um, that's a, that's a side thought. But Whitman, like an easy critique of of the Walt Whitman philosophy or of the the all encompassing embrace of all things, including evil. You know, that's the big kind of critique of of that sort of philosophy. Is well, what do you? How do you explain? Yeah. Bad, right? Right. Whitman wasn't just some Dandy strolling through the woods picking flowers, even right. though he was that He was also deeply politically engaged. He was the most Arguably the most like civilly politically engaged poet of his time. Yeah. In fact, he wrote Leaves of Grass On the eve of the Civil War and then when the Civil War happened, he was a vo- he volunteered as a nurse He was a volunteer nurse in the Civil War and half of his poetry is about going Side, you know, from bedside to bedside, and you know, helping dying off legs. Sigh. Well, he was he was more of a uh, more of a uh, spiritual nurse. A could, nurse. I don't think he was a hot nurse, a wet nurse. <laughs> um. So then, what does that say about? To me, that says so much about that what the fulfillment and the actual expression of what should come of that perspective and of that philosophy is not further isolation but just the realization that okay this is all I have this is all there is I can go now Now I should go to into the battlefield and, and tend yeah. to the side of the dying you right. know yeah um, anyway
1: that's no that's awesome that's great that's super cool um, something that sprung up in my head um, like it's like I, I was saying, uh, there's no... Want another drink? Sure. Okay. <laughs> He's trying to mime it to me. Keep
0: uh, talking.
1: We're all, all of like communal institutions are collapsing. Right. Slash pretty much collapsed. It's been really amusing, but also depressing to think about what will become of churches after, after the new normal. Um, just in that for 20 years churches have been uh, becoming content creators right ah they've become becoming content creators now the shift is final where please they're saying please go online and watch Mm -hmm. our video like they want you to watch the stream and participate but that's literally the exact same as please please watch my YouTube video right you know I'll have this one you got a bottle opener yeah please please watch my video and it it completely lays bare how evangelicals have just become content mills you know right and it puts it on a level playing field where you can then compare it with other better entertaining videos you know it's like why would i want to watch this video again yeah this is the same video every sunday right that i mean that's just me but i feel like that's a great point i feel like that's going to dawn on more people and and when, you know, it's more normal to go back to big gatherings like that, I just wonder how many people will just not anymore. Right. And, you know, at one in one way I'm happy about that because I, I, just, I was just so fed up with a lot of stuff. But on the other hand, it just really sucks because where can you find these institutions anymore that give people a reason to be together in big groups and to organize giving and things like that. Like, to just have an yeah. infrastructure to channel resources yeah for sure and my question is i like there's there's still a barrier for me of saying like hey i'm just gonna put all my ideological ideas that i got from the internet anyways and like being exposed to people who are not actually my real (laughs) friends like um that made me so mad about this in the first place. i'll just put that aside ignore it all and i'll just be here for for the people Mm -hmm. right but i don't think i can cross that bridge because evangelical churches are organized around doctrine and ultimately sift their communities by who will believe these doctrines right, right? right that is the definition of evangelicalism coming out of fundamentalism is do you sign off on the fundamentals right yeah that's the spiritual heritage and every pastor they won't bend on that like as much as they've adopted different language and other like nuances and priorities over the past 10 or 20 years like they're you know still committed like the gospel is the gospel like yeah. and it has to be penal substitu- penal substitutionary atonement and if you don't sign up for this ultimately you will not fit in right yeah and there's a huge problem with organizing community around signing up for beliefs right in intellectual uh, yeah. litmus tests so what do you do about that is one question. One thought I had in doing more art and painting lately is and it was something that you said too of like we really need to learn a completely different language like where we're not forcing everything into these constructs, right? Whether they're religious or political constructs and and verbal or intellectual lit- litmus tests like could you have a community that is for instance like organized around a set of images rather than a set of intellectual doctrines. Mm. Just as an example of like, if we weren't, if we started thinking with a different language, if it were a visual language or something like that, around poetic imagery, which you could say like, possibly different areas of the churches were more organized in that way, yeah. where it was they shared an aesthetic and a and a visual vo- visual vocabulary more than anything else. Yeah because they weren't literate for the most part right um your thoughts um yeah i was just trying to think of
0: examples of that like any any time that's ever occurred throughout history or if that is present anywhere in the world right now and depressingly enough i'm a little bit inclined to say that that exists on the internet but yeah, but maybe not at the same time, like in meme, meme culture, in a way. Yeah. In like, but but memes at the same time are such fickle, fleeting things that are in themselves are created by other, other, fleeting and meaningless forces. You know? I like memes. Me too.
1: I think they're funny. I think they're cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, hell yeah! I was just doing like a. A mom impression. Yeah, I, I think they're fine.
0: I think they're fine. Yeah. Well, there are some good memes out there, honestly. Like, I think there are people out there who would make the case that memes are like one of the few good things that is happening right now.
1: <laughs> good morning, Sunday morning. <laughs> God, gross. <laughs> um, that, that's one of the best best memes out right now. I I haven't even seen. You haven't heard it? I've heard it. I oh, didn't. Okay. I, you mean in just
0: meme in the broader sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah uh good morning sunday morning (laughs) crazy crazy um well it brings up one point or an interesting thought i I mean protestantism is to blame for so many things uh if only the
1: the pope had whacked luther on his first shot
0: (laughs) yeah get that guy that freaking bald dork can
1: you kill this fat ass (laughs) all right (laughs) It, you, you could have just yeah while he's puking his guts out in some wasted yeah, like some alleyway just shove right. a knife in him or kick him down the hill no they had too much too much dignity for that
0: um, well the the you know destruction of icons or the uh, the yeah the opposition yeah. to any sort of religious iconography I, there was a, so the a t- actually a professor at SPU, who's a super smart guy, um, really interesting dude, who his, he had a I listened to him give a talk about how the, you know, the anti-iconography, destruction of all forms of visual idolatry of the Protestant Reformation created a new idol, which was the pulpit, the pastor in the pulpit. Oh yeah, the man risen you know elevated above the congregation actually you know? yeah yeah and and you could make a case that like i mean before that maybe you have you have kings you have other forms of royalty and and individuals as idols but how many other or or how how many other figures in society were looked to for their ideas and for their um for their, their words. It was pastors, Protestant mm-hmm. pastors. And that has, you know, that's, that's the world we live in today. That is, if you if, go. If the idol of the individual thought yes. and of, of the celebrity.
1: Yes. If you, that, that's true, uh, obviously, broadly in all American culture, but especially when you go to an evangelical church and you sit there. And
0: you look at that guy with the best clothes of anybody there, not too good, but still
1: better yeah
0: and nice chukka, perfectly <laughs> yeah. rolled jeans yeah sport coat yeah keep going
1: and you listen to this person dutifully for an hour minimum <sighs> and laugh at his terrible jokes and just smile and and soak it all in that is for him alone yeah. I, I've asked that myself so many times of like who is this for right that is for you yeah. This is all for the pastor to feel good about themselves, that they they have a purpose, that they're living their best life, and that they have something interesting to say. And they're saying absolutely nothing. They're saying the same thing over and over again. It's a copy of a copy of a copy. Uh And they're all very mediocre. They're all nice and good people. Like nice enough people, but not particularly smart, not particularly funny. There are some good ones. There are some good ones. Yeah. Sorry, that was a little harsh. No, you're but, right.
0: You're right. Um, well, it's 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 for him, but it's also for the affirmation of the people there. You know, yeah. that they're doing the right thing. That they and that they have a leader of it's, some kind. It's for the is,
1: yeah yeah. It's for the pastor, and it's for the the non-existent hypothetical third party, who's like oh like someone who thinks that religion is about rules they're gonna come in and they're gonna be really surprised and like i mean that's that's really a very that's
0: a like a i think that's true in very evangelical circles very evangelical yes. churches yeah um i mean it's
1: a big culture it's it's yeah, it's, it's a culture if you're evangelical you convince yourself that you're a teeny tiny minority but you're, but you're not it's it's a very big chunk of the country amen
0: it's true i've been saying amen a lot
1: Amen. Whoa. Um, Um, Anyways, I I actually don't need to harp too much on that because I'm not mad about that anymore. And like I said, many times I'm tempted to like, I understand it is all my own neurosis to nitpick every word. Right. And if I could make myself chill enough to just like hang out with the group, I would do it. Yeah. Um, But I do think there's something, there's a real problem there that needs to be resolved, which we were just talking about. Yeah.
0: It needs to be burned and rebuilt. Yeah. In.
1: By you know, the way, I, I thought about we could do this tonight, we'll do it next time, but I do think we should watch Enuma. I was just about to say that. Yeah.
0: And I was also about to say that we could say right now, in two years, we should have Rob Bell on this podcast.
1: <laughs> that would be a big ask. Yeah.
0: It'd be big. A big get. Mm-hmm. I'd rather
1: get John Early. Me too. Yeah, we could get John Early. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, that's all good. I, we don't have to get too worked up about that.
0: Well, yeah, that this has been a new direction. I mean, we haven't quite addressed some of our major or our usual themes tonight.
1: Well, I'll say, so. let me, I, I can tell one little story about art painting.
0: Um, As we sit below one of Ben's many landscape paintings that he's
1: that's one of one of two good ones that's not true um no but pretty much in in the quarantine era i've been trying to learn how to paint which i never did until one year ago tops and like maybe a couple months ago i actually started like doing it over and over and trying trying to figure it out and i've drawn for a long time but i just never had the opportunity or any teacher who said you should paint this is how to do it which is too bad um, so I've been trying to figure it out and particularly I, I like the freedom of doing landscape like it's just a very helpful genre for me because I don't I got really tired of drawing of like looking at reference photographs it's like not what I want to do is just sit at a table right and look at an iPad um, so it's awesome to to go out and find a subject just outside and do it in one session and blah 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 so I've been trying to figure out how this works And how to do it and how how to handle oil paint which is tough Um, but um, I've also been like reading a lot of like to get some technical help and here's one thing I wanted to bring up which is an interesting application of like theoretical to the practical so let's just take for granted like I'm just starting out with landscapes and realism because I'm trying to figure out how to do this I don't have any particular marriage to that but starting there one question you have to think about is like scale and at what size you're gonna represent what you see on your canvas and whether how you're gonna crop what you're seeing right mm-hmm. um, I picked up I was looking at a bunch of Sargent paintings and he's you know one of the greatest portrait artists of all time his landscapes are also amazing which is very infuriating, because he could do anything, Um, but one thing that I think you can definitely tell from his pictures, his landscapes, his portraits were definitely sight size, which means whatever size he saw it is the size he would paint it on the canvas, Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're across the room from me, and your head is this big in my vision, that's exactly how I put it on the paper, or on the canvas, and that is a lot probably a lot more foolproof for measuring and proportion and stuff but he also did that I think with landscape which is somewhat unusual because that what that means is basically you have like a 30 by 40 canvas like you painted big that takes almost your whole field of vision which means what you're painting is a very wide view whereas like Edgar Payne I think would be a lot more cropped in. So Edgar Payne is painting what he sees right here. Mm. I'm holding up a small square in front of me and he's blowing it up onto a larger canvas. Why I think that's theoretically interesting is that Sargent, probably more than any other artist in portraits and landscapes, is representing an individual's point of view. Uh When you see a Sargent painting, like there's obviously he's making tons of artistic choices but like it is in his eyes Mm. um, more than any other artist I would say Hmm. especially in the landscapes you can see like you feel like you're there reading Zen Merton it's challenged me a lot because well first of all with all realism with all art or yeah with all realism your task is organizing complex data into something manageable but as Cheng Su says to organize is to destroy mm. you're making a construction that is fleeting and false and enshrining it right and that's been a real challenge but even more particular than that <clears throat> does a realist painting especially as purified as it is in Sargent Enshrine the individual perspective above all, right? Mm. This is me. This is my point of view. This is the world as I see it. And basically, like, that has become so common for us today to think, like, what is the point of art? Art, it's self-expression. Expression. Show the world what you see. Right. Right. That's Van Gogh. Like, we're seeing the world through Van Gogh's eyes. That's how he sees the world. And so I've re- I've been troubled by that, and not sure where to go with this of like does approaching art in that way enshrine the ego, basically, Mm. and immortalize and fetishize my point of view?
0: I don't think it has to. That's a very good question, and that is a really great way of putting it. And I'll come at it from my angle, you know, as a... The writing that I do, or when I write fiction, I write realism as well, you know? Um, And one of my favorite critics... James Wood writes for the New Yorker, so there's still some good stuff going on there. Um, is you know he, he has a lot of writing about the construction of realism, how it was constructed as a literary form in itself in the you know 19th, 17th, or 18th and 19th century in England and in, in America, and how it is like you know postmodern fiction, like fantasy, like sci-fi a construct you know anybody who thinks that realism is more real is falling into the trap of of exactly what you're talking about there of the ego or of the or of the uh notion that we ever can get a handle on what reality truly is but it is a it is a as long if you can acknowledge that and say that realism in itself is a construct through which we can momentarily express our perception of a fractured reality, you know, and somehow imbue that realism with that awareness, even if it's just in you knowing it when you do it. Yeah. I don't know. I, this is a question I ask too, because with what I'm trying to write right now, like I know I'm trying to write a realist novel, but I also know that I don't believe in realism in that way. Yeah. you know because I, I think it is a construct and it's a you know I'm aware of so many of my instincts of write, of writing in this way are conditioned by the books I've read by the movies I've watched by the beats that don't conform with reality in any way right but they are tools to represent my perception of reality but it isn't just oh this is just what this is my reality and I want to express myself it's This is my uh, limited and distorted reality and I still want to express it even though I know that it is a fabrication. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: I totally agree. And I I set it up because I think you can take multiple opposite perspectives on it. Right. One of which is like the... gives you the opportunity for transcendence or giving people the opportunity for transcendence in that, oh my God, like somebody see, I see something and somebody who is across this expanse from my consciousness sees something or experiences something similar to me. Like I get what they're seeing, even though they're in a mind completely alien from my own. Sure. And therefore I'm not alone Alone. in my brain. There you go. Yeah. See, that's how we bring it full circle
0: here. Yeah, campers. Right. Um, thank you, Counselor Ben, for bringing us bringing us here to the campfire at the end of the after we've done, capture the flag and had ice cream sundays <laughs> and now we're here at the campfire to give our lives to <laughs> to, to <write> <laughs>
1: <Write> your sins, on <laughs> a of paper and throw them into the
0: flame. Exactly. Um, no, is is that's exactly it, and that's that's what we're talking about with, Changsu and Whitman, and Chrisman you know, is that yes we are all isolated, more isolated now than we've ever been before and even our art the only way we really have to you know the only thing that either of us have had as a form of consolation or of um, hope, you know, in the midst of all this in many ways, that's maybe putting putting it too starkly um is in itself falls into the same traps of solipsism and self obsession and isolation but if you go through that yeah you know if you don't stray away from the inherent loneliness of either quarantine or of making art or of painting or of writing and go through that tunnel then what comes out on the other side is exactly what you're describing which is oneness, connectedness Mm -hmm. the illusion of separateness disappears because yes, it is a construct and therefore we're all constructing it together Mm -hmm. to some extent Mm -hmm. Um, and so that is the political opportunity that we have right now, you yeah. know, is that we have this moment of ex- extreme discomfort and isolation that we can push through and land in what you're describing, in Bernie land. <laughs> JK.
1: Yeah. <sighs> Definitely. Well said. Um, well, I, th- I think it, if I'm able to stitch those two things together we're, we're a little over an hour. Uh-huh. Um, I, I would say so. Anything else you wanted to add in?
0: Mmm. No. No, that's okay. Um, we're gonna keep them coming. We're gonna keep them coming here. Uh, I did have, I had something, I can't remember what it was.
1: Oh, well. Okay save it for next time yeah yeah cool uh well let us know if uh if y'all were okay with a little more scattershot format yeah uh maybe we should set up like a gmail or something yeah that's a great idea take requests yeah just know if there's any listeners out there in general
0: i think there definitely are i know a couple can you hear us can you hear me? Are you out there? Cool. Well, it's time to go back to the cabins. We're going to play nutball. <laughs> In other meaning we're going to throw tennis balls at each other's balls.
1: Yeah. yeah get, from an from a elevated height. Get the sock and fill it with nickels and... The dumbest among us will <laughs> sit on the ground <laughs> with their legs stretched out. The, the, rest the of most
0: desperate for for <laughs> affirmation and love. Yep. Yeah. Well, this has been Magic Camp, a podcast for anyone interested in art and power and with a little bit of extra time after school. I'm Paul Anderson. And I'm Ben. See you later, I campers. Shall. Peace.